All right, welcome back to Rock for Reading Daily. We are on episode 120, and we're reading High Risers by Ben Austin. J.R. Fleming. The very first abandoned property the Chicago anti-eviction campaign took over in the summer of 2011 was on the 6700 block of South Prairie Avenue in a section of the South Side known as Park Manor. The name of the century-old community had come to seem almost ironic, like a runny dog that people called Killer. There was one small park and no manners, just aging three flats and single-family homes wedged into a crease formed by the crisscrossing of rail lines and expressways. Blocks were gap-toothed by the blight of empty lots and boarded-up homes, many of them marked with red, quote, X, end quote, signs, alerting firefighters that the precarious structure should be left to burn. Dolores Wilson had lived on Prairie Avenue before, coming to Cabrini Green in her 20s, and around the time J.R. was eyeing vacant properties there, a driver took her past her old home. As Dolores rode by the building, she kept silent, ashamed to claim it as her own. The front door was open, the windows smashed, their tattered curtains rippling in the wind. Most of the surrounding buildings and stores that she remembered were gone, replaced by tracks of weed and tall grass, but fitting in actual prairie. A friend told J.R. about the Red Brit Victorian Park Manor. Douche Bank had foreclosed it two years earlier, and the house's owner, for all her efforts, couldn't convince the bank to consider a mutually beneficial modification of her loan. She finally walked away from it, moving to Philadelphia. But her foreclosure ended up among 2,000 temporarily halted when lawyers working for the bank admitted to illegally altering documents. With the foreclosure in legal limbo, J.R. saw an opportunity. Quote, when the ownership is complicated, end quote, he announced with a playful grin, quote, then it's community property, end quote. What the anti-eviction campaign wanted to do was technically illegal, but J.R. liked to boast that he didn't concern himself with the law. The takeovers, quote, quote, weren't legally right, but morally right, end quote, he'd proclaim. He'd offer up the example of the Underground Railroad, an audacious act of theft. He reminded people that until 1967, it was illegal in many U.S. states for black and white people to marry. Quote, we're challenging amoral laws by breaking them, end quote. One of the anti-eviction campaign's board members was a 34-year-old former Cabrini resident named Martha Biggs. She persuaded J.R. to move on the Prairie Avenue house. Quote, this is it, end quote, she told him. Quote, this is where we can make our statement about the human right to housing, end quote. Her interest in the home was also personal, since she hoped to live in it with her four children. Martha grew up in one of the white high-rises at Cabrini, one of 11 children. When she was 18, her mother died. At 20, and with her own apartment in the row houses, she was evicted for drug possession. Like many residents kicked out of Chicago's public housing at the time, she moved herself into one of the thousands of units the CHA had failed to refill once they became vacant. When she was put out of that Cabrini unit, she squatted in another one. The utilities were still in the name of the previous tenant, and after Martha landed a job at a hot dog factory, she got a tax return of $4,000 and offered to pay the entire bill due, a total of $2,000. But the CHA wouldn't take her money. The agency didn't put Martha out, but neither could she officially reside there. When her building was finally shuttered, she moved with her children to an apartment on the west side. Then one day a sheriff showed up to kick them out. The building had gone into foreclosure. Her four children were between the ages of 1 and 12. They slept on the couches or living room floors of family members. They stayed in homeless shelters. 
But at the shelters, there were bugs and thefts and a feeling that people hadn't and a feeling that people had quit trying. More often, they huddled for the night in an apartment van, Martha finding a way to keep her children neat and ready for school. Tall and powerfully built, with ropey biceps, Martha was more than ready to work on the vacant house on Prairie. Scavengers had broken in and ripped out the pipes, toilets, radiators, ceiling fans, and cabinetry, and it wasn't like they did it carefully. There were holes in the walls and ceilings. Martha and other volunteers got to work drywalling and toweling and replacing what was taken. They stripped old paint and laid down fresh coats. They repaired windows and walls. Six weeks after the start of renovations, the anti-eviction campaign held a news conference on the front lawn to announce the home takeover. Martha stood beside J.R. and three of her children. Occupy Wall Street was then taking place downtown, and J.R. had befriended some of the activists, most of them young and white, and looking for ways to shift from symbolic displays of outrage in the city center to something tangible in the areas hit hardest by the excesses of the 1%. A group of them had come out to the press conference, and they stood on the front porch, chanting, quote, fight, fight, fight. Because housing is a human right, end quote. JR spoke first into the microphone set up by local news affiliates, settling, settling into a preacher's rhythm, quote, because of the government's inability to provide an answer to the homeless crisis that is plaguing our country, because of the banks' unwillingness to help homeowners, we have taken it upon ourselves as men, women of our communities, to take back control of our communities, end quote. Then Martha, less prone to public de declarations, began. Quote, hello, my name is Martha Biggs, and I'm from Cabrini Green, end quote. On his national television show, Tavis Malley covered Martha as part of his, quote, poverty tour, end quote. The New York Times ran an article about the Prairie Avenue Victorian titled, quote, foreclosed home is a risky move for a homeless family, end quote. But Martha didn't think the move too much of a risk. She lived on the first floor with her children, whom she enrolled in neighborhood schools. Other members of the anti-eviction campaign, including J.R., sometimes crashed on the second floor. J.R. and Martha had also canvassed the block ahead of time, asking neighbors how they felt about a family moving into one of the several empty homes on their street. The idea appealed to them. They lent Martha rakes and gave her chairs in a china cabinet. She, in turn, used her fixing skills to do minor repair jobs for them. The possibility always loomed that a sheriff or a representative of the bank would show up to a victor. Believing she would be compensated for the improvements she'd done to the house, Martha kept receipts, and after a year, she estimated $9,000 in parts and labor. And as at Cabrini Green, there were dozens of other empty, proper empty properties and surrounding blocks where she could move next. Quote, I've been through so much, really, I feel like I can live anywhere, end quote, Martha said. Quote, as for property, I came from nothing, I can leave with nothing. They say, who are you? I say, Martha Biggs. They say, what's your address? I say, Earth, end quote. J.R. happened to be sitting on Martha's stoop in the fall of 2012 when a man from the city's Department of Buildings rolled up to mark an empty house across the street for demolition. J.R. had been eyeing the property, researching its tax history and record of ownership, thinking the anti-eviction campaign could do something with that orange brick too flat. He jogged over to the city worker, shouting, quote, uh-uh, that's not going to happen, end quote. 
JR told the man it was crazy that taxpayers were cleaning up the mess of corporate giants who'd gone unpunished for their misdeeds. The city has spent $14 million in 2012 tearing down 736 vacant buildings, including 270 abandoned homes that the police identified as shelters for gangs and other criminal activity, and Emanuel's administration had 1,400 more on its demolition list. JR talked about the violence in the city and the black flight that was emptying out neighborhoods like Park Manor. The South Side population plunged by another 50,000 people over a five-year stretch. He said the city shouldn't demolish something that could be turned into an asset, a home. The city worker didn't disagree. With a long list of properties to visit that day, he decided to move on to the next one. JR broke into the house not long after that. On a weekday morning, he slid open a window off the front porch, then, unable to unstick the front door, kicked it open from the inside. Other members of the anti-eviction campaign were waiting for him outside, smoking cigarettes. Thomas Turner wore a bike helmet because at six feet four, he regularly smacked into low-hanging pipes or ceilings during these maneuvers. Thomas pulled a drill from a black duffel bag and began replacing the lock on the front door. Martha got started securing the rest of the house, screwing shut the heavy wood windows on the first floor. JR flipped light switches, trying to find out whether the electricity worked. When a ceiling fan began to twirl, he sang out, quote, we've got power, end quote. By then, JR had entered hundreds of abandoned homes, each one a variation on the same theme of despair. He stumbled upon drugs and whatever paraphernalia people needed to use or make them. He saw the gathered sheets and worn down mattresses of trick houses, the carcasses of dogs and cats and rats and possums and raccoons. Walking around the hundred-year-old house on Prairie, now, he documented the state in which they found it, unconsciously filling every silence, belting out an off-key, quote, if I had a hammer, end quote. He snapped, quote, before, end quote, photos of a gaping hole in the ceiling, the kitchen, stripped bare of its appliances and cabinetry, a bathroom scavenged of everything but a seatless toilet, the plaster and studs blasted to pieces. Quote, this is not even about selling stuff, end quote, J.R. Braid. Quote, it's I'm going to break up a bunch of shit because I'm mad and I got to go, end quote. Windows were shattered or missing altogether. The flotsam and jetsam from capsized, live, capsized lives blanketed the floors. Old winter coats and pants, soiled grocery store bags, a crusted gallon jug of open pit barbecue sauce. Lying in the corner of the dining room was a water-stained, quote, my first birthday, end quote, photograph of a boy in a grown-up Chicago Bears jersey and wool cap. On a low table in the living room rested a solitary Bible. Quote, there's always a Bible, end quote, J.R. noted. And then we're almost at the end of this chapter, so let's just finish this chapter out and then we'll do a reflection. Neighbors dropped by during the day. None of them could recall the house's last legitimate tenants. Martha had run off what she called, quote, crackheads, end quote, who had pulled up in a U-Haul to strip the place, though she figured they later parked around back where she couldn't see them. The scavengers had pulled the tiles off the walls in the kitchen and bathrooms. A widower in his 60s who lived alone in a nearby apartment mentioned a shooting that had happened on the corner over the weekend. Quote, I got it on video, end quote, J.R. said of the immediate aftermath. Quote, eight shots to the back, end quote. He announced that he was leading an anti-violence rally later that week 
And almost as soon as he said it, he leaped up from the porch and chased down two lanky teens passing by to invite them. The guys nodded with confusion as JR talked excitedly about how together they would reclaim the, bo- the block. An hour into the Prairie Avenue takeover, Thomas Turner, refusing help, was still struggling to install the new lock on the front door. Quote, work smart, not hard, end quote, Martha scoffed as she lugged a window she'd found tossed in the closet. Thomas had rehabbed an abandoned single-family house a couple of blocks east, rebuilding the gutted bathrooms and kitchen. He bought used windows and doors or retrofitted what he found, often carting home large parts on his bicycle. There were seven people living there now, including himself. Quote, the homeless people love it, end quote, he said. Formerly homeless himself, formerly incarcerated, formerly addicted to drugs, Thomas has stumbled onto the Occupy Wall Street encampment after his most recent jail stint and joined the growing movement. Through the downtown demonstrators, he looked up with the anti-eviction campaign. He linked up with the anti-eviction campaign, though. JR had placed him on probation from the group earlier in the year. Thomas relapsed during the protest of the Chicago NATO summit in May 2012. Activists crashing at his place invited him to share their drugs, and he'd accept it. But he was now clean and doing amazing work, JR said. Proof that the home takeovers not only provided desperately needed housing, but also put unemployed and underemployed people to work, training them in the building trades, all while beginning to stop the slide of a neighborhood. J.R. and Martha followed a maze of exposed wires from the kitchen down into the basement. No water tank down there, but no rats or roaches either. Someone had Jerry built a bed of flattened cardboard boxes in a clammy recess beneath the basement stairs, Surrounding it were carton after carton of Newport cigarettes. Imitating the hawkers who prowl street corners trying to make a few bucks, J.R. shouted, quote, new squares, end quote. At some point over the last century, the house's second floor had been turned into a separate apartment. Its appliances were also gone. The bathroom, too, a demolition site. Thieves had hauled off a cast iron radiator and judging from the cracked rails on a banister and a collapsed step, had realized his heft and simply rolled it down the stairs. But the three bedrooms were largely undamaged. The unit's thick wooden doors were adorned with what appeared to be their original glass handles. In the living room, the afternoon light poured in through floor-to-ceiling to, floor windows. The room contained a decorative fireplace and arched entranceways. The hardwood floor, still appearing relatively new after 100 years, glistened. Quote, the downstairs always be whoop whoop, and the upstairs always look nicer, end quote, J.R. said. Marveling at it all, he had the thought that often came to mind when he began to work on one of these abandoned homes. He remembered Michael Jordan winning those six championships during the 1990s, saying to Bob Costas in the post-game interviews, quote, this one is special, end quote. That's what J.R. told himself as he bagged up the trash at Prairie Avenue home. This is the one. This one can make a difference. And that brings us to the end of chapter 17. And to our final chapter, which is entitled The Chicago Neighborhood of the Future. And I think one of the things that stands out to me from that last passage and from that whole chapter overall is the the type of activism that they were putting into place around housing and the importance of all of these different 
issues that exist having activism put in place around them and the importance of then linking those linking those types of activisms or linking those organizations that's involved in that type of activism together to have a, a base strong enough to eradicate some of these issues and to uh, and so that's I think that's what stands out to me is the importance that that it was for them to have activism going around going on around housing and the anti-eviction organization that JR has set up and them housing people and, and giving house housing to people and also how you know this beckons back to something that we read about earlier here when they spoke about the importance of self-determination and how the the Cabrini high rises that were the the most well off and that have been kept up the most at towards the end of before right before they were being destroyed were the ones that the tenants were managing that the tenants were in charge in charge of and again through here throughout this book we've seen the importance of it being avenues and opportunities for people in these situations to take control of their own destiny and to be able to feel empowered to uh, not have to go to the same institutions that are exploiting them to try to get help and so jr having this 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 group this organization where people were learning trades as they were engaging in activism because they were putting these houses back together people were networking as they were engaging in this activism because uh, they were involved with different with the occupy group that was in chicago and it's an education and that goes into into these things too the the laws being spoken about they were putting having press conferences and speaking to the media and you know all of those things are just important in the in the overall, uh, in the bigger picture of putting together, of, of struggling against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice, because it takes that same understanding of why people need avenues for self-determination uh, so that they can struggle against some of these things. Chapter 18, the Chicago neighborhood of the future. The Little Brick Chapel at the intersection of Clybourne and Larrabee, was built in 1901, an outpost of the American Protestant Episcopal Church in the Industrial River community. In 1927, the near north side was mostly Italian, and St. Philip Benizi, the parish church led by Father Luigi Giambastani along Death Corner, bought the building and rededicated it the San Marcello Mission. Decades passed, and Cabrini Green's 23 Tower rose up around the chapel, the public housing population soaring to 18,000 and the Italians long departed. In 1965, the St. Benizi Parish Church was demolished, but the San Marcello Mission, in the shadows of several white William Green high-rises, continued on with only a few dozen parishioners and a sole Sunday Mass. The mission tried to serve the residents of the high-rises, offering job training and drug treatment. In 1972, a priest asked William Walker, the Chicago muralist, to paint the plain building. Walker covered the outside entrance with, entrance with figures of different races, their giant circular faces overlapping like a Venn diagram and their hands joining in embrace. Bordering what was painted to look like a huge stained glass window, Walker included the words, quote, why were they crucified, end quote, in the list of those suffering. Jesus, Gandhi, Dr. King, and Frank 
Emmett Till, Kent State. He titled the mural, All of Mankind, Unity of the Human Race, and it reflected a hope for the closed quarter divisions of Cabrini Green, Lincoln Park, Old Town, and the Gold Coast. The, Archdi the Archdiocese of Chicago shut down the mission in 1974, and the building was taken over by the Northside Strangers Home Missionary Baptist Church. Four decades later, the neighborhood had transformed again. The Cabrini Towers were no more, and the church sat in the backyard of the new multi-story target, multi target. The heavily trafficked streets were repaved and bike lined. Up the block, an REI and a Crate and Barrel Superstore had opened up. An upscale movie theater and shopping center, an Apple store and businesses for body sculpting. Where the Ogden Avenue Bridge had stood, there was now a skydiving facility people paying $69.95 for a few minutes in a wind tunnel to experience the sensation of freefall. In 2015, Northside Stranger put its prime parcel of land on the market, asking $1.7 million for the 5,200-square-foot lot. In anticipation of a sale, the church was given a fresh coat of paint, the faded mural celebrating racial harmony whitewashed entirely. For years, Developers referred to Cabrini Green as the, quote, hole in the donut, end quote, the one area in the thriving city center where builders dared not to go. No more. Quote, Cabrini Green is the Chicago neighborhood of the future, end quote, a realty company wrote. Circling the Cabrini land were new condos and luxury towers with outdoor pools and spas. Next to where Dantrell Davis had lived, on Oak Street, townhomes with floor-to-ceiling windows sold before completion. Boxy Parkside mid-rises now line both sides of Division Street. Cabrini Green tenants have filed a lawsuit with the city in 2013 to reopen the 440 shuttered row houses as public housing units. The suit was settled in 2015, 19 years after the first redevelopment plan for Cabrini Green was proposed. The road houses would almost certainly be demolished, but public housing residents would be mixed into whatever replaced the buildings, filling 40% of the units. There was a good deal of city-owned Cabrini property that had yet to be developed. Empty fields and concrete tracks still sat where many of the high-rises stood. Public housing units would also be sprinkled into the dense array of residential properties that was sure to come on the rest of the 70 acres. One near Northside developer argued that the name Cabrini Green no longer be uttered. Quote, it's north of Chicago Avenue, end quote, he insisted. Quote, no CA is what everyone should be calling it. The name is without the stigma of Cabrini Green. Quote, yet even Chicago was drawn to a hot new housing market were loathe to adopt a New York style neo neogalism. The Tribune editorial page appealed to its readers in 2015 to come up with the name for the former Cabrini Green befitting local customs. Among the 100-plus submissions were Cooley Park, True Town, Gold Coast West, North Branch, Old Ogden, Severin, New Breeny, Montgomery, Brother Bill, and Seward Green. But by far the name suggested most was simply Cabrini. Quote, and why not the neighborhood after Mother Frances Cabrini? And why not name the neighborhood after Mother Frances Cabrini? End quote. The paper mused. Quote, when I go to church now, I can hardly recognize the neighborhood, end quote, Dolores Wilson said. Quote, 
condos, townhomes, wealth. It's not the same, end quote. Her church, Holy Family Lutheran, was still there, but struggling amid the changes. Newcomers to the neighborhood flocked to places like Park Community, a multi-story gospel preaching non-denominational church built a couple of blocks away. Park Community was, quote, committed to being in the city for the city, end quote. But Dolores appreciated that Holy Family was there at all. Quote, people didn't believe it would stand this long, being Lutheran and in Cabrini too. But God is good all the time, end quote. She wrote in a letter to the editors of several local newspapers on the church's 50th anniversary. With the motto, quote, many voices, one near north, end quote, the Near North Unity Program was a new institution in the neighborhood that was also committed to the past. It was created at the start of the Plan for Transformation's second decade to join together the changing area's disparate populations, the remaining Cabrini-Green families, the new homeowners and renters, the new businesses, and the old community groups. Abu Ansari came over from his Parkside apartment for a time and led the meetings. Quote, to assuage my guilt, end quote, he said. Kelvin Cannon sometimes attended, standing in the back. So did Carol Steele, one of Marion Stamps' daughters, and Brother Jim. The group's success in drawing out the neighborhood's different, quote, stakeholders, end quote, was evident in the ways their many voices often clashed. During one monthly meeting, white property owners peppered the area's police commander with questions about the open-air drug sales they witnessed on Larrabee Street, not far from their condo building. They couldn't believe that in a revived community, on the very same block as the new police headquarters, dealers could set up shop outside a corner store, with buyers loitering there all hours of the day. Quote, a Cabrini-Green problem, end quote, was being allowed to return and they demanded that a cruiser be stationed at the intersection. Finally, a man who grew up in one of the Reds broke the protocol of raised hands and no interruptions. Quote, it's Lucy's, end quote, he shouted. Quote, they're selling cigarettes on the corner, not drugs, end quote. It didn't make sense for someone buying drugs to linger. Quote, you live in Cabrini Green now, end quote, he said. Quote, in the good end, end quote. The Near North Unity Program led race and cultural workshops for its members, and it evolved into one of the chief arbiters of the community's needs. The group set up a pen pal program among the fifth graders in the eight area schools, spread news of job openings and internships, organized hunger walks, and ran back to school fairs and neighborhood cleanups. It inaugurated a series of summer jazz and neighborhood cleanup, excuse me, it inaugurated a series of summer jazz concerts in the redesigned Sewer Park. Anything to create, quote, positive loitering, end quote, and, quote, a new, a new vision on division, end quote, its leader said. It became such a presence that developers now sought the group's support on proposed condo towers and revised plans for the Cabrini Row Houses. Jesse White brought architects out to a monthly gathering to talk about the designs for his new Jesse White Community Center, the 30,000-square-foot facility built at a cost of $13 million on Chicago Avenue. The Near North Unity Program also joined the fight to save Manier, the elementary school by the Evergreen Terrace Apartments just north of Division Street. Like the other 54 schools that Mayor Emanuel's administration said would be closed in 2013, Manier was under-enrolled and the minority students who did attend the un who did attend underperformed by most measures. Jenner, south of Division, once the most crowded school in all of Chicago, had been rebuilt as part of the plan for transformation, 
and the state-of-the-art building could seat as many as a thousand students. But with the towers knocked down, enrollment hovered over 200, and two-thirds of those students were former Cabrini families who no longer lived in the district and traveled long distances each day. The city proposed a relocation, excuse me, the city proposed a reallocation of resources, combining the students from both schools into the new Jenner. But the neighborhood objected, saying the Hatfield-McCoy conflict between the young people on either side of Division Street was real and endured. A group of Jenner girls responded to news of the possible merge by beating up a manier middle schooler. A Jenner boy posted a, quote, hit list, end quote, on Facebook, implying that the nine manier students he'd identified would be shot. J.R. Fleming spoke at one of several public meetings to protest Manier's closing, asking Mary Emanuel if, in Israel, he would be willing to send his children to a Palestinian school. He distributed copies of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, indicating that the city council was a signatory. Quote, I would rather kill the budget than kill a child, end quote, J.R. said. In mayor, the mayor's office relented. Manier could stay open. It was one of only a handful of the condemned schools to win a reprieve. In 2015, the Near North Unity program turned its attention to Jenner and its, under, and its ongoing underuse. The group suggested a merge not with another Cabrini area school, but with an elementary school less than a mile east in one of the city's wealthiest districts. Ogden International suffered from the opposite problem as Jenner. The Gold Coast area surrounding Ogden had exploded with new residential development in recent years, causing drastic overloading at the school. If Jenner and Ogden were combined, kindergarten through fourth grades could be housed at one campus and fifth through eight at another. Not a single white family who'd moved to the Cabrini neighborhood had enrolled a child in all-black Jenner. But for those with infants or children to be, the possibility that one of the best schools in the city would, in effect, come to them was a kind of inner-city dream. Ogden parents who showed up at meetings to support the consolidation said they'd read the literature on school integration and it revealed that higher performing, wealthier students didn't suffer academically in these merges. They praised Jenner's new principal, Robert Croston, a young alum of Harvard University School Leadership Program. At Jenner, he'd initiated a campaign to improve daily attendance. He started a career day and family math nights. He was trying to reinforce a culture of success at the school by dubbing it the NEST an acronym drawn from a school credo. Quote, I am neighborly, I stay engaged, I am a scholar, I use teamwork, end quote. And a great many people from both schools talked also of the social justice aspect of the merge. Nearly a century earlier, Harvey Zorbo had written in the Gold Coast and the slum of these polar opposite communities that were only blocks apart. Quote, all the phenomena characteristic of the city are clearly segregated and appear in exaggerated form, end quote. Here, at last, was a chance to join together the extreme contrast of the area to level this imbalance. At a meeting to discuss a consolidation that would begin no sooner than September 2018, an Ogden parent said, quote, we've forgotten about taking care of other people's children, end quote. There was, as to be expected, a group of Ogden parents who were vocal in their opposition to the proposal. They worried about practical hurdles, like transportation between the two campuses. But they also felt that the Cabrini-Green neighborhood had changed, just not enough. Quote, as Ogden parents, we have been given virtually no chance to protect what we have planned for our kids' future here, end quote. A parent posted in on, on an online forum. Someone else wrote, quote, 
I am all about the social development and upliftment of underprivileged kids and families, but it cannot be at the cost of compromising educational and behavioral and safety environment for all other kids, end quote. Cabrini families expressed their own concerns. Tara Stamps, a daughter of Marion Stamps, and a longtime gender teacher, showed up at one of the meetings with several of her colleagues, all of them wearing, quote, straight out of the nest, end quote, T-shirts. She worried that the consolidation would not be a union of equals, but a way to push out poor and black people. The neighborhood had already lost a high school and three elementaries as part of Cabrini Green's demolition. When the rest of the clear site was finally developed, a third of the new units would be reserved for public housing families returning to their, quote, native land, end quote. Would a school filled with Gold Coast students now be close to them? Quote, I really want you to understand with the sensitivity that Cabrini Green didn't represent just buildings. Those were families. Those were communities, end quote, Stamp said. Quote, the reason you have scores of our young people coming back in treacherous weather is because they are rooted out, because they are rooted to the land. They have a blood memory there. Their grandparents and their aunts and their cousins and their favorite memories were there, end quote. And we'll end this episode here. And I believe the next episode we have will be our final reading within High Rises and High Risers, excuse me. And then the episode following that will be a review of the book. And then we'll move on to our next piece of literature. And again, this is this this specific issue of housing is so closely tied to the issue of education as well which is tied to the issue of employment which is tied to the issue back to the issue of housing and all of those things are are pieces of the issues of police terrorism mass incarceration and racial injustice and as we get closer to the end of this book i think that that's what is coming in in perfect are coming in, coming, becoming clearer and clearer and a little bit easier to articulate is where this, these issues and the issue of housing, specifically public housing with Chicago as a template, how that fits into the struggle of police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. All right. Talk to you tomorrow.